Welcome to the Dreamcast, a podcast created by the students of the Otis Music Camp in Macon, Georgia. Each episode of the Dreamcast will feature stories and conversations with exceptional artists from our hometown of Macon, Georgia and around the world. This week, we interview the amazing Marsha Wilson, a professional costumer for the film industry and the sister of Dreamcast producer Jamie Alalaw. During her interview, Marsha discusses her work and artistic point of view in a wide-ranging conversation that also explores Otis Redding's iconic music and fashion style. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dreamcast. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, Miss Marsha Wilson. Uh, this is a fun guest for me for a few reasons. One, I am fascinated by... Um, Marsha and all that she does, um, and namely, she's going to speak to us today about her position in the film industry, but also, Marsha is my sister. So I always love having opportunity to have a conversation with my sister and to get to know more about the work that she does and to just hear a bit about how she's able to apply it in different areas of her life. So Marsha, thank you for being here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what you do in the film industry. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, so I am a Pisces sun, Leo rising and Aries moon. So that informs a lot about who I am, very watery and mellow go with the flow and then when necessary I bring out the fire, the flames, the personality and the excitement. I am a costumer in the film industry so that is comprised of set costumer, key costumer, truck costumer, background costumer, office costumer and the current position that I'm holding is office costumer on the TV show The Game Reboot. Um, that looks like being the liaison between the designer, assistant designer, and supervisor in any office needs to the set customers and to the truck customers um, and to other departments. I interact with the art department to say, hey, can we have these t-shirts screen printed for to represent this school, to represent the football team? And then um, I communicate with my team to see what our needs are as far as pulling outfits or pulling pants to fit one of the main actors or to pull costumes. The biggest thing I do is to help pull background actors' costumes. Um, they set the tone on set. They're mobile. I don't want to say that because it sounds like property, but they are like the mobile set decoration in the sense that you have a feel of where the actors are, what's taking place based on how the background actors are dressed and how their dress tells you who they are. If they're in suits, it's probably a business situation. If they're in cocktail dresses, it's probably a high-end bar or dinner type situation. So that's one of the, the things that I get to oversee on this TV show. I hadn't really thought about it that way. They they really provide us the insight in, I mean, where we are, the temperature, you know, of, of our location, um, the mood, all of that stuff. So, I, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned um, you mentioned the 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 different aspects of your being and how you pull out the fire. And we we've, we've seen that 
when you uh, helped backstage for a few years with the uh, Otis Music Camp finale show, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, share with us a bit about how you got into this industry and, and fashion and costuming just in general. My background, as far as education goes, is in fashion, merchandising, and fashion design. Every school I've gone to or every degree I have is in some aspect of fashion. So I've always loved textiles, colors, silhouettes, color combinations. The clothes, apparel, accessories, they all tell a story about who's wearing them. Even, I mean, no matter what it is, if it's a quote-unquote raggedy shirt and expensive jeans to me that says about the person that uh, they're laxed and they're comfortable in their skin and they are less interested in <laughs> how they present to the outside world and more interested in how they feel in their own skin and how they want to present and so that crosses over my, my background in costumes or in fashion design as far as school goes crosses over into the film industry as far as costumes goes. But, and, that wasn't a seamless transition. School was school. Uh, I took a hiatus from graduate school. I did full-time freelance photography. And I, the spirit told me to go to the unemployment office and I signed up and I'm thinking like, I'm not, I don't want to like sign up to work at a, a grocery store or somewhere that felt disconnected from me personally and what I wanted to do moving forward. But I was like, okay, I'll just go there and be honest. I gave them my information, told them I'm interested in graphic design, photography, design, styling, all things artsy. They contacted me like two weeks later, interviewed me, contacted me again, interviewed me again. And they're like, oh my God, wait a minute. We have this program called IATI. And when she said it, I'm like, what's an IATI? I didn't know how to spell it. I wrote it out phonetically, but I'm like, I don't know what an IATI is. She was like, we just had an opening or they just closed, but we're going to have an opening again for people to enter into this training program. This training program is like an adult internship. And so I was the third cohort that got to interview and got accepted into this training program. And they trained us for about a week. And then they sent us into the work field. And I was in the production office as a production PA. I did that for, I was supposed to be a month, but then they're like, hey, we'd like to keep you on for another month. So I did that. And that was for the TV show, The Quad on BET. And then my first time on set was on a feature film, which is pretty dope because it doesn't usually happen that way. For feature films, it's usually like you've been in the industry a long time and all that good stuff. But you know how divine favor works. It's like when you're supposed to be somewhere, spirit will put you in that position. So that's what happened there in locations and then my locations manager knew I was interested in costumes so I've worked with him on a few productions and there was one particular production the following year where he was like I remember you said you were interested in costumes and so he took it upon himself went and talked to the designer and the costume supervisor and was like hey Marsha's interested in your department so they reach out to me and they say hey are you available tomorrow Look out for the call sheet to know your call time. I said, okay, great. Thinking I'm going to come in as a costume PA, which is a production assistant. And it's somebody who's just, it's entry level. They're not even in the union. 
And I look on the back of the call sheet, and they have me listed as a costume, a costumer, a BG costumer. And I'm like, a background, BG background, a BG costumer. And I was floored because, one, that's more than twice as much as I was getting paid. And, two, I'm just like, how are they trusting that I know what I'm doing? I mean, thankfully, I know I do. I have a background in wardrobe, so I understand presentation. I understand styling. I understand dressing the character or the person based on what that moment is calling for. And for me, that worked out, and I just appreciate that they had that kind of trust. So that's that's really how me getting into the film industry happened. It was this beautiful segue, not smooth, but, you know, it's very telling too, but this segue between costume design, I'm sorry, not costume design, fashion design uh, in school and then jumping into the film industry to do something that is very comparable. One of the things that I really enjoy about doing this podcast is getting to know people's journeys to where they are. And a common thread that I find, whether it be, you know, senior vice presidents for marketing or, you know, top managers in music or, you know, successful singer-songwriters, they all have stories of following an instinct and or being in a space where an, they were presented with an opportunity that, you know, by all intents and purposes, they should not have been presented with, right? But they were mm -hmm. presented with an opportunity and they were prepared for it and they were willing to step into it, right? So like, I mean, because it could go different ways, right? Like you could get presented with an opportunity that you're not prepared for and it's like, oh, well, can't do that. Um, or you could tell yourself you're not prepared for it and then be unwilling to step into it. But um, one of the common threads that I'm hearing from many people who are successful in their industries is that they met the opportunity with a willingness to step into it and with a level of preparation. Um, so that's that's pretty dope to hear that that's, you know, that's still consistent even as to me, you know, it's like, okay, fashion, design, costumer, you know, film costumer sounds comparable to me, but also, you know, and, and you know, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know you, you know, I know <laughs> I've seen it, <laughs> but, you know, you know, as you've described, it wasn't a direct connection, right? It wasn't a seamless, direct and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, your, your photography, your graphic design, you're, I mean, you're an all around artist just in general. And so it's just kind of much as you described yourself as being a very water fluid energy. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what that journey, that's what I hear in the, um, the journey that you've taken. Well, and if you don't mind me adding, it's cool to even speak on it because it's almost like I'm, I'm talking and painting a picture and reflecting back like, oh, wow, that's pretty dope. That's, that's the journey that happened. So two things, 
one, I think it's incredible that we all pave our own path, especially when we're in tune with that voice that speaks to us, because there's just this standard, like, this is the ladder. This is how you get to A, to, to, from A to B to C, but we're just so diverse and we're just so all incredibly distinctive that it makes perfect sense that we would each carve our own path and journey to where we want to be. The second thing, to go back to the fashion design versus the costume design, I wanted to differentiate just briefly. The fashion design is definitely creative. It incorporates design and building garments, much like costume design. Um, the fashion design dresses the everyday person. The costume design dresses a character, somebody who might be a reflection of a person who exists in real life, but is somebody who is fictional. Um, and the big difference, especially with costume, is that continuity is huge. When you watch a TV show, you might watch like, oh, they meet at a park and then they fall in love at the very, very end of the wedding. But the way we film and the way we shoot, we might shoot the wedding first and we might shoot like them eating cake at the wedding one day. And then the next day we might shoot them at the reception part of the wedding. So it's imperative that the continuity be in line, like remembering, okay, her hair was like this. Her makeup was like this. Her clothes were like this. The wine glass was sitting here when it happened. So they're similar, but they're just so very different. So I just bring that up just because it's like it was dope to have a fashion design background, but it's also you realize how different it is. Yeah, it sounds very dependent upon a high level of attention to detail. And I know I, I hear people hear friends who will watch movies or TV shows and be like, oh, I hate it when I see, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah. that's your job. And right. You, and you are very attentive to detail. So, uh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that distinction that you make between um, an everyday person and a character it uh it's it's interesting and it, and it takes me actually back to something you said earlier too as you were um describing your your journey and your relationship to fashion and style and how it can tell you so much about a person so it made me you know of course this is the dream cast for the Otis Redding Foundation right so it brings to mind Otis Redding's persona to me. Like, I think about, one, if we think about how, you know, this common thread I mentioned in people, you know, being met with opportunities and stepping into it, um, or even creating, you know, the past, like you said, you think about Otis Redding and the time that he existed in and the opportunities that he did create for himself, right? And there was this, you know, you imagine there has to be a level of not just confidence, but certainty in oneself. And so I'm just thinking about these different elements. So I'm curious, um, you, if you consider Otis Redding's fashion and style, just if we just think back on some of the images or videos or, you know, things that we have seen of him. Um, I'm curious what, what you would say 
that you get from him when you just kind of look at his style and, and how he dresses and carried himself? Oh, that's good. There's, I feel like an unintentional refinement. I say unintentional because refinement is, you know, people tend to think like suit ties, buttoned up, cleans, you know, clean lines. I say refinement in that there was almost this ease in his essence, like the way he dressed. It was put together, but it wasn't overthought. I, so when the, when I worked with the camp, I want to say this was in 2019 or 2018 and got to help dress the singers. Well, got to help dress the singers, but when we were doing the play, one of the characters, one of the young men was playing Otis Redding. And so I got a chance to dress and shop for what research I had done on Mr. Otis Redding and what I perceived from his style. And it was a lot of fun and I just, it was, it was simple. It was, I feel like it was perfectly in line with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it was parallel. It didn't <laughs> overcompensate and it didn't, it wasn't underwhelming. I feel like his voice was just so rustic and rich and that it spoke for itself. So the clothes were kind of like mild in the sense that they were perfectly they were where they needed to be so that his essence was what was captivating his stage presence. Um, I feel like even his hairstyle to me was almost more uh, stood out more in that it was kind of like the signature cut and the way that he moved. And of course, again, his voice was just was rich. So I'd say his, his clothing, his style, just to summarize his clothing and his style, I'd say it was more, a little more simple and it, just really opened it up for us to be in tune with his voice and his stage presence. Ooh, I see. I didn't even know where that would go when I asked the question. I'm just like, I don't know. This it feels like a a, a good place to go. But listening to you describe it, it sounds to me like it would fall more a lot in line with fashion than costuming, in the sense that the clothes that he wore were an extension of his essence and his voice and were in service of that, right? So like you said, to help to hear and to, to it, it, it's almost like to align and to set the picture um, for the audience so that you could hear him even more and hear him better and hear him clearer um, in, how, in his messaging, in his tone, um, in his communication. It was like the, the, you know, the clothes just kind of went in line with that. It was like a very simple canvas and his voice was the paint. It wasn't like the canvas already had a whole bunch of marks on it. It was like walking on stage, here's the canvas my voice, my stage presence, my message as a lyricist is about to paint the picture and you gonna walk away with this invaluable picture. And I'm also reminded, even as I was researching, of course, his family is in the camp. <laughs> they, you know, so I got to speak with them. And I think, well, I had mentioned hats. I was like, is there hats? Is there this? And they were like, no, he, he 
very seldom wore hats and very adamant about it. And clearly that stuck with me because I'm bringing it up now, but that was very notable. Because one, I love me a good hat, so I'm always like, ooh, is there a hat? In my research, I didn't see him in hats really. I think I might have seen him in like one hat maybe, was it a cowboy hat? I don't remember. But very seldom did he wear hats. And that was something that I think Miss Carla had mentioned. I want to say that Justin had mentioned too, but there were a few resources that were like, nah. <laughs> and so even that, going back to his haircut, I just, I, just his presence, he was open. Like you could see him, I think of her and how her, when she first came out, was in glasses because for her, she didn't want her physical being to be more notable than her voice. And I think about that in a similar sense with Brother Otis Redding. It's like, this is who I am. This is how I present. And the voice, again, the voice is what the paint that, that colors the canvas. This is, I mean, this is really just opening up a different, like a really different direction for me as I am in this conversation because the reason we're here today in 2021 talking about Otis Redding was because of the level of impact he was able mm -hmm. to have. And hearing you describe the process of, you know, you being a part of the Otis Music Camp finale and, you know, helping to guide the campers on their own style and, and, and the way that they're presenting on the stage, as well as costuming the campers as they depicted, you know, as one of them depicted Otis Redding. I'm hearing how the simplicity of his style was a focused intention that was almost strategically, and I don't know the level of thoughtfulness to this end, but was strategically set so that it was all in service of the voice um, in a way that it wouldn't be distracting um, in regards to like being not well put together, right? But also not being distracting as to be a departure from who he was and from his messaging. And so I'm just thinking about this as, you know, we, we spotlight artists, up and coming artists, especially um, from Georgia, you know, we, we spotlight those, those artists who have found great success and also those who are finding success as our work you know, with the Otis Music Camp is really to nurture and support new talent. And so, so taking these different aspects of what we have learned um, from Otis Redding's legacy, um, from his passion, from his purpose and drive for education, from his boldness and knowing his place in the industry and <clears throat> his message and his talent and his gifts and his intelligence, like just taking all of these things that we're learning from him. And now to hone in on his fashion and the way that he presented. 
I just took a whole <laughs> a whole roundabout. I hope you went with me because I'm, I'm pulling I'm I'm pulling the pieces together in my head right. to get to this. What would you say are the lessons that emerging and developing musicians can take from the intention of Otis Redding's style and fashion sense? Going back to the differentiations of fashion and costuming, and just to recap, my perspective of fashion can can certainly be persona, but and it's usually a presentation of somebody living in their skin and presenting how who they are. Costumes is usually based on somebody playing somebody else and portraying somebody else. <laughs> the fusion when you, that's kind of like bringing fashion industry, film industry, and then the music industry in the middle because there's a marriage between those two. You think of Beyonce and how she had her persona for many years. I think she at some point was like, nah, I'm all of these things. So she, she just went back to Beyonce. But I think persona-wise, I depends on especially as you're emerging if you're growing and expanding and discovering who you are as an artist you might dabble in some fashion aesthetics that you're curious about but you don't feel like you is you but then when your stylist brings it to you you're like yo this feels great like i'm curious about that so to me and i hope i'm answering the question to me it's a fusion of um, well, it's definitely being authentic to who you are. And if you're still discovering who you are, being open to diving deeper into who you might be. You might not know who you are fully, but it, it takes being open to diving deeper into you might, who you might be, which is imperative on having a team. If you're stuck and rigid and like, but this is how I dress and your stylist is like, yo, I see so much more for you. I hear your, the, the temperature and the texture in your voice and the, the volume and the intensity and the, the, the presence and the attitude in your voice and in your style mixed with the instrumentals, like just your whole brand. I see your whole, I see your fashions. Then lean in a little bit and trust the stylist a little bit. Don't completely give way if you have a strong conviction. But if you are tapping in and diving deeper into who you are, then yeah, you, you don't fully know who that is. And if this person sees it and you trust them, then trust their vision. And allow them to marry your authentic self, which is the fashion, mixed with the costume element, the persona, the stage presence. Allow them to marry that. Uh, I love Eric Badu. We're very similar in our quirkiness. I feel like she dresses, <laughs> stage presence-wise, she dresses like who she is. She wears that clothes, that stuff in her every day. I feel like also that came from her learning more about who she was. I feel like she probably pulled some stuff from her stage presence and brought it into her personal stuff. Again, going back to Beyonce, what was her, um, what was her persona? Sasha Fierce. Sasha, Sasha Fierce. Her attire, her personality is fiery and just very audacious. And Beyonce, parts of her didn't feel like she fully aligned with that Sasha Fierce, except for when she was on stage. But she started merging that stage presence with who she is and started realizing like, yo, that's me. 
And that's one reason I, when I introduced myself, I mentioned my moon sign and my rising sign because I'm learning to to be that fiery part of myself. I'm learning to marry and merge my water flow with my fiery self. And so we, we do that. We marry those aspects of who we are, allow them to show them who, allow them to show up in our music and our fashions and then lean in. So if you feel stuck or you feel kind of like, yo, I know I could do more, then trust that and, and try some weird, quirky things that don't make sense. But then you put it on, it's like, this resonates. This feels true and authentic. And for Brother Otis, again, I feel like his authenticity came through his voice. And he wasn't trying to be anybody he wasn't. And I think he knew enough about himself, at least from what we see, that he was like, let's, you know, I don't know if these were his exact words. This is, again, my interpretation of, of observing him like keeping it simple, keeping it clean, and just being, uh, can we cuss? Can I say the A word? Being the bad self that he is. <laughs> he, you know, that's very evident. He is a trendsetter in so many different ways. And he is a, uh, what is the word? You said it earlier and how he has set the tone for many musicians to come. I think him showing up in his essence gave other people permission to do the same. That's what I feel like. That's really what I feel like. And what we see with him is authenticity. I don't I don't feel like he dressed or did anything that's just feel like it was a huge contradiction to what he presented. It didn't feel like a detachment. It felt like I know this person or I feel his essence when he sings. I feel like he's being true to himself. And I think that is the wise counsel for emerging artists it's like tap into who you are what inspires your music what inspire what what listen to yourself play it back as you as a recording and and fill out the textures and the colors and the silhouettes and all that stuff it's like ooh, um blues and greens or jewel tones or lace or leather beanies glasses fedoras doc martin boots like what is what feels true to me mixed with stepping outside of my comfort zone and marrying the two to really be that 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 stage presence that you that you can be. And what I'm hearing is as much like the background actors help to place the setting right with how they're dressed and they and they help the viewer to know where we are and the temperature mm -hmm. and the nature of the scene and just as what we've described is with the effect that Otis Redding's style have for the listener, whether we're aware of it or not, what I hear is that the way that we dress, our fashion, does have an effect on the way that we are heard, the way that we're received and that it's not all of the picture and it's also not negligible. So that, you know, you described earlier, if it looks like someone doesn't, you know, care about fashion or doesn't pay attention, you know, there's still something that's being communicated, even if it's that. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing is that whether we consider ourselves fashion forward or fashion conscious, it is a part of an extension of our creative 
our creative expression. And so the main bullet points I hear are be authentic, know yourself, be open to exploring yourself, and yes. have a team that you can trust to go on that journey with you. Yes, absolutely. Discernment goes a huge way. And that discernment is just trusting like, ooh, okay, this feels right. Even if I don't fully agree with everything they're saying, it's just it's more so a trust that they have your best interest at heart. If you feel like they don't have your best interest at heart and they still have great fashions, then go with the gut and be like, yeah, no, but, but this isn't for me. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, but that's a word even in regards to the music creation, right? Yeah. In, the, in the, in the execs that we align ourselves with. Okay. So, mm. all right. All right. So, you know, and that's a, that's, I was going to say, and that's another day. That's a, that's a continual conversation. All right. Last question. Always have to ask it. What would you say is your favorite Otis Redding song? Oh my God. I literally was sitting here humming like, four different now about five different songs like a compilation of them i'm just i'm gonna have to go with sitting on the dock of the bay i love i have several that i love but sitting on the dock of the bay one inspires me to get back into my songwriting um two you feel like you're there you're there in the song and it will it also just feels good it's on my feeling good playlist it's on several playlists but it's on my feeling good playlist when i just need to feel present i kind of use it as like a meditation song when i just need to feel present or i just need to feel grounded or even if i need to be in the slight dream state i'll play it because it just i don't know it feels safe i am going back to the pisces thing like creating storylines daydreaming is my safe place and that song just sleeping in the morning time. Like it just takes you to where he was. You see the scene, you see the the lighting, you you experience the people that are surrounding. Um, you feel his feels, like you feel it from his own perspective as the author of the song. That's my jam. I was gonna say hard to handle, but I think I'm out and we'll take it there's a reason why it was a classic or it is a classic mm -hmm. well marcia thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the dreamcast thank you for having me this was exciting and quite an honor thank you for listening to the dreamcast the Otis Redding foundation would like to thank the following people and organizations for their continuous support the Otis Redding Estate, the Otis Redding Foundation, the Knight Foundation, the Georgia Council for the Arts, the Community Foundation of Central Georgia, and the United Way of Central Georgia. The Dreamcast is produced by Jamie Alilaw and Matt Miller with an amazing group of student producers. Our theme music was composed and performed by Zach Wilson. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Dreamcast. Watching the tide.